Hi, everybody. Oh, you tune in, and I'm just so happy, just so you know. Okay, uh, this one, I want to begin with this. You've all heard the jokes that begin with, guy walks into a bar, dot, 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 right? You've heard that. Well, today's guest and his co-founder said, you know what? That was actually how we started our business. It was no joke. Guy walks into a bar. The guy, Mike Kerbin, co-founder and CEO of Vita Coco, got the idea for his coconut beverage when he walks into a bar with a friend and he strikes up a conversation with two Brazilian women. That conversation lit the proverbial light bulb and soon Mike and his co-founder, his buddy Ira, were selling coconut water out of the back of their van in the Bahamas, trailblazing the health beverage industry across America and the world. Now, let's fast forward to today for a moment. Vita Coco is the top-selling coconut water brand, grabbing celebrity investors over the years. Let's put glamour on the back burner right now, folks, and move sweat equity to the front in making this, I guess you could call it a coconutty dream come true. You have to hear Mike's story. Michael Kerbin, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. It's great to talk to you. You know, wait, first of all, where and what bar? <laughs> I got to go find the place. It was Lower East Side. It was a cold February night. It was freezing. I don't remember the exact bar. It was not a pretty bar. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but it was cool. We had a great time and it turned out to be a, a the start of something just awesome. Well, yeah. So you strike up this conversation with two uh, Brazilian women and tell me exactly how this led to the genesis of Vitacoco. Well, you know, yeah, it started in a bar. Um, that night, Back in 2003, we never expected we would create this incredible, you know, global uh, beverage company um, and really kind of transform natural beverages and natural food over the years. Um, we were just having a conversation, looking for somebody to talk to. Uh, me and my buddy, Ira, started talking to these two girls. They happened to be from Brazil. We talked about all the things that they missed about Brazil and coconut water came up and we talked about coconut water for a few minutes. Um, and then one thing led to the other. He falls in love with one of the girls, moves to Brazil like weeks later. <laughs> um, clearly, you know, he's not waiting around and uh, just goes, sells everything he has, goes to Brazil. And I went down to visit and this coconut water conversation kept on coming up and it didn't exist in the US. It was big in Brazil. Everybody was drinking coconut water, not only out of a coconut, but now out of a Tetra Pak, right? So it was in people's refrigerators, it was on the shelf at the grocery store, and it was getting big. And so we decided, you know, let's create a little business. Let's try to make a couple extra bucks on the side. Never set out to create a big company. It was just about, you know, doing something new and something together. And how did you start? Because I look at uh, the idea and say, oh, wait a minute, you got to have a canning process. You've got to have all kinds of regulatory approval for the food and beverage industry. I mean, people would just give up after barely scratching the surface. I think that is probably one of the biggest advantages that we had. We knew nothing. We didn't think too hard. And we therefore made a ton of mistakes along the way. Ton. Didn't get things right every time. But because we didn't think too hard, we never had a business plan. Um, we never thought too much about how we're going to put it together. Um, and we just kind of went. And I think that was one of the, that is one of the biggest reasons for our success. Did I um, yeah. have an MBA or did you study business? No, nah, I dropped out of school after two semesters, college. Um, he went to school and studied um, 
Italian uh, cinema. <laughs> so that didn't help us very much. <laughs> At least he got an education. Um, and, uh, and we were off. <laughs> I am already loving this story. Okay, you just said you made a ton of mistakes. All right. I want to go yeah. to the beginning of the business. Yep. So you say, we're going to do this. What was your first step? First step was I came back to New York and I started figuring out how we're going to get it to stores. So we still didn't have a, a product yet or a brand yet. Um, and I started, you know, I met, I met a guy in Brooklyn, just struck up a conversation with him. He was delivering naked juice out of the back of a truck. Yeah. His name was Angelo. And, um, you know, after a long conversation of back and forth, he didn't want anything to do with me at first. And then I got him to at least talk to me. Um, he agreed that he would help me distribute the product in Brooklyn. Um, and in the meantime, Ira was down in Brazil and he was looking for a way to, you know, to create a brand and get a brand to market off, off the, you know, get it out of the coconut and into a package. Um, and he met uh, the local brand in Brazil that was growing really fast at the time and struck a deal with them to produce on the side for us in their downtime when they had excess capacity on their lines mm -hmm. to produce our brand for us. So that's kind of how we got started. It was like a co-packing arrangement with these guys and a small guy in a van in Brooklyn. And we started a business. This is exactly the type of story that just fits into the, the peg <laughs> of what <laughs> we do because I like what you said, where you said we knew nothing and therefore we just kept trying. We kept throwing darts at the board and figuring it out as, as we went along. What was your first stumble? What was your first, wait a minute, wow, this is going to take money. We already lost some. We've made mistakes. What triggered that moment? There were, se there were several, but I would say the biggest, most you know, um, concerning one <laughs> when I think most people would have just thrown in the towel and been, been like, this ain't going to work. Um, we spent all of our initial money. We pulled some money together. I had some, some money. He put his bar mitzvah money in and, and you know, we started this thing. And um, the first uh, place we put all of our money, like all of it, was the actual product. So remember, we went to these guys. They were going to produce for us. So we told them how much we wanted. And we ordered basically everything we could afford. And we said, we'll figure out a way to sell it. So that's how we started the business. The product got produced, got put on a boat, started making its way to the US. And I had this kind of shipping broker and they called me up and they said, congrats, the, the containers are arriving um, in two days. What is your FDA registration number? I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. I need an FDA registration number. And they said, yes, it's low acid food. It's produced a certain way. You need, it needs to go through a registration process. I said, okay, great. Let's do that. How do I do it? Who do I call? And she said, well, we'll get, we'll get that going, but it's going to take a long time. Like it'll take months. Um, and I said, well, I don't, what do I do with the product coming in? And she said, you have two options. One, you could either, or three, you could destroy it, which that was not an option for me. Right. Two, you could put it in an FDA bonded warehouse, which would cost $35,000 a month. Again, not an option for me. Or three, you could export it. So I said, export it. What do you mean? She said, well, just don't bring it into the US. Just keep it here and then ship it somewhere else. So I did exactly that. I shipped it to, I found a guy in the Bahamas willing to buy it on consignment. He said, you come down here and sell it for me. I'll pay you for whatever you sell. So I went down to the Bahamas. I had the best two weeks of my life. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I met a whole bunch of great people, had so much fun. And I went door to door, bar to bar, grocery store to grocery store, selling coconut water to Bahamians. It was really cool. Price it. I mean, what the <laughs> heck? This is, you just were running around doing this? Yep. It just, uh, you know, I was down there. I figured out best way to price it, best way to sell it. And literally out of a rental car. Um, and then he, the distributor would deliver it on their next order. He was a beer distributor. So he was going to a lot of these places anyway. Um, I was selling it again, like out of the back of the rental car, selling everything that I could sell. And, um, we sold a good amount of it and made our money back. When was the first moment where you got somebody in the U S to say, sure, I'll put it on our shelves for you. It was a, a store in Brooklyn. Um, and I remember, you know, they, there was a couple, but I think one of the early ones was, um, you know, a place that I used to go to. Uh, I got the guy to taste it. He was like, ah, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, people were drinking at the time. There was carbonated soft drinks. There was some iced tea. Vitamin water was, uh, you know, still somewhat new. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of beverage options and there wasn't a lot of healthy beverage options. So we were coming with something totally new. Um, so there was that guy, there was a couple of others. They took a chance on me. I put it in the store and then I went there at night and started sampling people and telling consumers why it was good for them, why it was so hydrating, why coconut water is so great when you're exercising or when you're hungover or when you need electrolytes. Right. And, um, I was literally selling it to the consumers in the store, handing it to them. They would take it to the cash register and buy it. And that's how it started to go. Um, the beauty of it, though, if I can, is that we realized very early on that we had two totally diverse demographics. We could sell it in natural food stores and health food stores and high-end delis and so on, but we could also go to Indian grocery stores and Latino grocery stores, right? People who grew up on coconut water in the tropics knew what it was, and there was no education necessary. And you had a product that tasted natural and clean and like what they knew it would taste like, and they loved it. And we could sell a lot of volume there also. So it was really interesting to find both demographics. We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listen Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have to bring up the Madonna factor. Madonna suddenly taste this, hears about it. You have got to tell me how she jumped on board because that in a way exponentially increased your profile. I would imagine your sales and the yeah. feeling that we can go global with this thing. Yeah. If you don't mind, I'll take it one step back. Sure. Just before that, I would say six months, four months before that, Coke 
ended up buying my closest competitor. So there was two of us selling coconut water in a Tetra pack at the same time and growing. And Coke came into the category and I was like, okay, here's our biggest stumbling block, right? We got to now compete with Coke. And they had huge distribution muscle, huge dollars, and we didn't know exactly what to do. But then we knew we had to do something. And I met Madonna's manager and put this deal together where she bought a piece of the business and then we could then use her and her mouthpiece to talk about the benefits of coconut water on a much broader scale than I could do. Nobody was listening to me at the time. Um, <laughs> and, and we were able to just build awareness. And that's been like the beauty of this thing. We've been able to keep on growing and building awareness first about coconut water. And now as we've grown, the coolest thing for me is we have a, we have a platform, right? We, we can, we can, um, um, have an impact on things because we have a voice. So it used to be, I needed Madonna for the voice, but now we, as an organization, we're big enough. We as a brand or family of brands, we have a voice. So it's so cool how you can really, as you get bigger, you could do more and more and more by using your voice, both from a sales and marketing standpoint, but also from an impact standpoint, which has been really fun for me. This point where you, A, found out you had a competitor and B, then that competitor gets bought by Coca-Cola and you're thinking, well, forget it. They're going to scale this up. They're going to use their power in the marketplace, their shelf uh, space power to promote it. That business is being unwound, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We now have a 60% share in this category and they have a 2% share in this category. And we beat them through pure hustle. It's been really fun. Hustle and David connection. And Goliath yeah. Story yeah. Right there. yeah. Yeah. No, it's been really fun. Amazing. Well, as our as our listeners are wondering, wow, you know, this this guy kept fighting, he kept fighting. I want to take it really far back, actually, to your childhood. You didn't have an easy one. You had a you had a learning disability, right? Yep, learning disabilities, several of them. <laughs> um, I was in, you know, special classes in school, all of these things. And um it was uh yeah, I mean, it, it impacted my ability to learn, but I think I was given a lot of confidence from my parents, my father specifically, and I think the confidence is what drove me to be able to do whatever whatever I wanted to do without worrying about failure. When you told your friends that you were dropping out of college, what did your dad say? Oh, my dad didn't care. Um, my dad said, okay, what type of business do you want to start? You know, it was, that was... That's how I grew up. So I grew up in an environment where my grandfather was an entrepreneur. My great grandfather was an entrepreneur. Um, he had a vegetable truck. And then, you know, it went from generation to generation of we had our own businesses. When I was a kid, my dad and I would create businesses together at 10, 11, 12. So I never really expect, I've never in my life been on a job interview. And I think growing up, I never expected I would ever be on a job interview. Like it was just kind of how I was, how I was, you know, um, formed <laughs> um, that I always knew I'd be an entrepreneur. So dropping out of college, I don't think was, you know, a shock to anybody um, in my family. I think about uh, the norms, societal norms, where people say you want to prepare for a job interview, you want to get a good college degree, which is now so unbelievably expensive and inflating even higher. And there are big questions about whether a four-year degree 
is really necessary anymore and that it it really should possibly be shortened to three years or you don't go at all. You go to a specialty school. There is There is just, it's a different world, isn't it? When you hire people, is that a deal breaker? Do they have to have a college degree? I, I'm guessing no. The way it's you so it. funny. You asked that question before I was able to comment on that specific question, right? I have never looked at a resume and looked at where somebody went to school. Mm. Um, it's just not important to me. It's their experience, yes, but in meeting them, it's their attitude, right? It's attitude over skill set every day of the week. Like that to me is, is how I hire. It's how, I, how I've always, so not only hired, but the people I've surrounded myself by um, or with, it's just, it's, it's what makes somebody capable, in my opinion, less so than, um, than specifically where they went to school or, or what they've done. It's what they're capable of doing, right? You're coming up on, what, 18 years of existence of Vitacoco? If you started in 2003, what is next for Vitacoco? I mean, a lot of people say you got to scale up, you got to grow, you've got to expand to survive in this world. Um, do you see it that way? Yeah, probably because I just enjoy expanding and scaling. Um, it's what drives me, and um, it's not about it's not about the size we get or the money we create or anything like that. It's the adventure, and it's like it's it's the challenge. So today we're probably the largest, better for you, independently owned beverage company in the U.S., if not globally. Um, and we've got a family of brands that we're growing and continue to bring new brands to market beyond just Vita Coco. Um, and I think over the next couple of years, the goal is to use the scale that we've created and the foundation that we've created to create even more scale. And through combination of M&A, buying new, buying brands that exist in market today and bringing them into our system and helping them grow or new to world brands that we create to, you know, um, you know, bring to consumers and, and so on. So that's really the objective. It's create a much broader portfolio of brands um, that scales over time. And to be honest, I think, you know, Coke and Pepsi are amazing companies, but they're really focused on carbonated soft drinks. And we're bringing brands to consumers that this generation wants and future generations will want. And that's the opportunity that I see. Even today, the market is so incredibly crowded, uh, not just with you know, coconut water, but also with, with health beverages in general. Um, I'm talking about kombucha. I know that's obviously feels fizzy and carbonated. They're green juices uh, by the flavored water company. Um, what do you feel is the most important thing you need to do to stay at the top? You're global now. So I think our scale helps us because we can put things to market pretty quickly but the most important thing is that we're able to really create brands that connect with consumers. And I think that's critical. So yes, somebody goes to the shelf, there's a lot more options than there were 10, 15 years ago. However, the beverage category has continued to grow and many of those options have done really well. So clearly people, new generations are looking for new products. They're looking for better for you products, healthier products. They're looking to buy products from companies that do better for the environment and better for the world around them and really look at the impact that they're having on the world. And I think that's where brands and companies like us have an opportunity to be very successful in the long term. So what's the new, new thing? What are you developing? So we have acquired a brand called Runa, 
um, uh, about two years ago that we're really starting to now develop, which is an energy drink that is plant-based made from a leaf that grows in the Ecuadorian rainforest that has more caffeine and more energy than a Red Bull. Um, so what? it's this incredible product that's brewed from a single leaf. It's really amazing. What does it taste like? It tastes like a cross between tea and an energy drink. Um, and, uh, and it's, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It drinks well, and it just gives you this boost that's incredible and sustainable, not sugar induced. Runa. And, and yep. how do I spell that? Where do I find it? I'm so on that party train. R-U-N-A. You can go to amazon.com, Whole Foods, a lot of uh, natural food stores. That's where we're building. Well, it. look at you now. You're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I went from some little Gilligan's <laughs> Island boat schlepping coconut water up to up the coast you know to, to trying to get it in, in some warehouse so that it wouldn't rot and then you get it to the bahamas to now oh yeah i'm on amazon that's just it's such an amazing story still I, I, schlepping always schlepping well yeah it's that is people that's why we we do these stories because we really want to show that the american dream can never come if you dream more than you'll work for it you have to work as hard as you're dreaming for it. And True. work involves tripping, stumbling, scraping your knees, breaking a few bones, uh, proverbial bones, and, and figuring it out. So you're operating in multiple time zones now. Have you been all over the world now? Yeah, everywhere. Spent a lot of time in China. We have a big team in Singapore where we manage all of our supply chain business. And you know, we're, we built in the Philippines, we built 30 schools, which has been amazing in these communities where we produce our product and get the coconuts. And we're just doing things everywhere. We have all these programs going that I love and I find fascinating. And that's one of the most, you know, powerful things, parts of my job and one of the, you know, parts of my job I'm most proud of. So it's fun. This, this is the crucial question. Did Ira get his bar mitzvah money back out of the business? <laughs> And then some. <laughs> and, then, and then just a few little bucks, I am sure. What a terrific story, Mike. I am so thrilled to bring this to our Everyone Talks to Liz viewers and listeners because oh, it's just so inspirational. Um, I wish you the very best of luck. And I do, I do want to just show off a little bit because I went to Tahiti and I learned a lot. This is again, a thousand years ago, but I learned a lot about coconuts. And one of the most important aspects about coconuts is when you break it open, the water is totally sterile. Yes. It is completely pure. And I guess I just want to know how you keep it in that form as you then manufacture it into Vitacoco. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest challenges and why, you know, people taste coconut water and they're always like, why is yours Okay, I'm going to say this because this is what people say to me, but why is yours so much better than the other ones? <laughs> it's really hard to produce coconut water because it is. It's sterile in its environment, but it oxidizes very quickly. It's like milk almost. It goes bad super fast. So you need to process it from the coconut into an oxygen and light-free environment quickly. That's why the Tetra Pak is really great for coconut water because it's aseptic. It never comes in contact with lighter oxygen because um, coconut water is tricky. Um, but it's a, uh, it's an amazing product when you get it right. And it's, it's been an amazing journey building this thing. So. Oh man, I just love this. This is great. And, and we can't wait to hear more about your new brands and, and where you go from here. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks so much. Uh, Vita Coco, Mike, it's great to talk to you and, and folks, what am I telling you here? As I always do. 
The American dream is there for you and everyone. You just have to grab it and then hold on tight. You may you may break a few fingernails and and sprain a few ligaments in your hand trying to hold on tight, but that is what it takes to climb to the top. So um, thanks again for tuning in. We are so appreciative that you do. Spread the word about Everyone Talks to Liz. And in the meantime, I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business. It's the Claim and Countdown. Hello. See you next time.